You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. I recently found out about the sport called ultra endurance bike packing. This is where bike riders will take these super long distance rides, but they carry all of their equipment, including their food and water, any supplies in case their bikes break down with them on the bikes. In fact, there's a rule in competition that you cannot accept help of any form. Uh, world record rides have been disqualified because film crews and family members showed up along the trail. They didn't actually give them any supplies, no food or water. They didn't help them with anything, but just their very presence is considered mental drafting. In other words, it eases the resistance on the rider because they have friendly faces showing up along the way. This is the ultimate individual sport. I think as a culture, we love this idea of people setting out on their own and doing things completely independently. Uh, I see this especially in the way we talk about people who are inventors. Think of Thomas Edison, the creator of the, the modern light bulb. We have this idea that he created all of these things completely on his own because he was the most prolific inventor probably of modern time. In fact, he wanted to keep this message, this idea that he was an individual who individualistically created things and invented things. He wanted to, to keep that image up so much so that he would often boast that he had never even attended a single day of school, which just isn't true at all. In fact, his greatest invention was probably the modern research and development lab. He called it his invention factory. He would hire the best and the brightest, teams of scientists and technicians who would work systematically to produce innovations. And oftentimes these innovations weren't even their own ideas. They would draw off of the ideas of other people, but not give them credit. So we think of Thomas Edison being this individual who goes into a room and pops out with a light bulb, but instead he's someone who had a team of people surrounding him. He never did things on his own. In this series, The Countdown to Calvary, we've been talking about not just some random special person or someone who created something cool out of nothing or you know, someone who competes in an endurance sport, but we've been talking about Jesus. And we've been talking about Jesus who is a unique figure in all of history because he's divinity in flesh. And one of the things that we've been seeing time and time again is how God in human form would face life's biggest challenges. So in Mark chapter 15, which is where we're going to be today, we see that after Jesus's public trial, he was led away to be crucified. And what we're going to see in chapter 15 of the book of Mark is Jesus at his most vulnerable, his most broken, and his most human. As he's going from his trial to his execution, we see in Mark 15, 21 and 22, they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry Jesus's cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They compelled a passerby to carry Jesus's cross. See, normally a condemned person would be forced to publicly carry the cross beam, the horizontal beam of their cross, from the place where they were convicted all the way to their execution site. 
We know that Jesus had already been beaten and humiliated and mistreated and put on this trial and, and been kept up overnight, and he was weak. And so the Roman soldiers, which they had the authority to do, they drafted a bystander to carry this cross, which could have weighed anywhere between 50 to 100 pounds. And they had this, this bystander carry Jesus's crossbeam. His name's Simon of Cyrene. He's, he's in Jerusalem from North Africa, probably visiting to celebrate the Passover. We're told here his kids' names, which gives me the idea that he's probably on vacation, celebrating a religious festival with his family. And he gets snatched from the crowd and forced to help Jesus out. What we see here is the first instance in Mark chapter 15 where Jesus needs help. In verses 23 through 32, And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. People misunderstood Jesus. The, the Jews were expecting king of the Judeans, not the Messiah. They were expecting him to rebuild Solomon's temple, not a resurrection. In 1 Kings, we were told of the intricate details of Solomon's temple when it was built. The cedar walls, the golden tables, the inner courts, the outer courts, the Holy of Holies. And then it was destroyed. And in Ezra and Nehemiah, we, we see that it's being rebuilt. And they use the Jewish talents to build it. But it was very underwhelming. Then a third time it's built. And we have Herod the Great's temple, which was considered a wonder of the ancient world. But it was built with a lot of Roman influence. And that's not what the people wanted. The Jewish people wanted a glorious temple built by their new ruler. They were also expecting salvation from pain and suffering, but instead they got salvation from evil. We see the differences between God's kingdom versus the earthly kingdoms. The kingdom of the world trusts power of the sword, while the kingdom of God trusts the power of the cross. The earthly kingdoms seek to control behavior, while the kingdom of God seeks to transform lives from the inside out. And the kingdom of the world has earthly enemies and fights earthly battles. But the kingdom of heaven, however, has no earthly enemies, for its disciples are committed to loving their enemies and treating them as friends and neighbors. Jesus's pain and suffering saved us from our pain and suffering. The Jews were expecting a great revolution and their new leader to take down the Romans and end their suffering. But instead, Jesus died on the cross. And we pick up there in verse 33, 
And it says that when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put, uh, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. What we have here is the second instance of Jesus needing help. This time he actually cries out for help from the Father, from God. And one of the questions we're left asking is, did God really abandon Jesus on the cross? When he calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's calling out for help, but he says that God has abandoned or forsaken him. Well, Jesus here is quoting from Psalm 22. And Psalm 22, I think Jesus probably knew it well, knew it so well that in this moment of pain and heartache, these are the words he turned to. And Psalm 22, 1 says this, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? I think most of us know that feeling. The idea that we're, we're going through something that's so difficult that we have nothing left in us but to cry out, God, where are you? Where are you right now? Because I need your help. And it doesn't seem like you are showing up for me. But I also believe Jesus knew the entirety of Psalm 22. And as you go through the rest of the psalm, the psalm writer actually acknowledges that God has not abandoned him. Instead, it ends with this verse, for he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. See, I think Jesus knew in this moment when he's on the cross being executed for, for no reason, being punished for something he did not do, he's broken, he's abandoned, and, and he has nowhere to turn. He cries out for help. But I think he knew that God hadn't actually abandoned him. But in this moment, he's feeling the most pain and hurt and brokenness that a human being could ever feel. The most human thing Jesus ever did is cry out, where are you, God? Let's pick up in verse 36. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this is the Son of God. This was an unusual way for someone to die, for someone on a cross to be crying out loud. Usually the voice is weak and soft. The centurion, the Roman soldier, most likely assigned to crucifixion duty and probably witnessed hundreds of crucifixions, witnessed this loud cry and knew that it was unusual. Other gospels mention that he, specific things he said and other events that were happened simultaneously but whatever Jesus spoke or how it was spoken, it was evident to those around him that he was the Messiah. In verses 40 through 41, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. 
We're seeing the third instance of Jesus needing help. And these women who were there at the cross, at the crucifixion, were there for Jesus at his darkest moment. And at this point, most of his other followers had abandoned him. So on top of all the pain and suffering, on top of being wrongfully convicted of a crime, being so broken that he needed help to carry his own cross, being executed, he's also mostly alone, except for these women who were there with him. And, and them just being there matter. It makes a big difference. In fact, research has shown that someone you care about being with you can take difficult circumstances and make them emotionally and mentally seem less bad just by their very presence. But this was not the first time these women had shown up for Jesus. The text tells us here that when he was in Galilee, so when he was back in his homeland, when he was beginning his ministry, when he was starting out, that these women had followed him and ministered to him. They had been a benefit to Jesus from the very beginning. See, we find here that Jesus never did things on his own. He always had other people involved along the way. Now, could Jesus have done things on his own? Yeah, probably. Most of the things in his ministry, we highlight him as an individual unique figure. And there is truth to that. But these women ministered to Jesus from the very beginning. And here at this dark moment in his life, at the end, when he's in pain and suffering and he's crying out, where is God? They are present with him, ministering to him. And Jesus needed their presence. So here's the point. If Jesus needed help, so do you. If Jesus, God in flesh, needed other people to, to serve him, to be there with him, to, to be alongside him, to help him out through difficult times, so do you. You were not meant to do life on your own. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need a community of people to be around us, to support us, to love us, to get us through difficult times. You were not meant to do life alone. I love the way Stephen Carter says it. He says, Christianity isn't a solo sport. 